G'day, guys. Welcome to this week's Hash It Out. How are we, gentlemen? Feeling pretty well. Doing well. Nice to see. Uh, we've had a nice milestone uh, today, actually, um, with 5.0 ticking over, which was fantastic. Everything went, everything went smooth. So that was great to see. And that's basically a culmination of up to sort of 12 months plus work, um, diving into uh, the repos and seeing some dates and things of um, what people were up to. Uh, it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, 5.0 has been a long time coming. Um, that's probably the culmination of like two years of thinking yeah. uh, development. And it, it's not as though um, the ping time increases, like the block time stays the same. It's just uh, we have more bandwidth to fit transactions uh, into blocks and we get faster execution of smart contracts, which makes the network as a whole more efficient. Yeah. So you I know, guess, there's uh, this. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say there's this idea that faster is always better, right? And uh, when you're talking about a network that is, uh, let's say, distributed across the globe with a lot of different users with different bandwidths in terms of uh, their internet. Um, that's a consideration to make in a decentralized system. Faster is not always better. In fact, one question you have to ask is if you turn up a network and uh, you start producing blocks at a more rapid speed, where are you going to store all that data? Because the actual size of the blockchain starts growing um, at a quite rapid rate. You know, you can look at something like uh, Solana, which, you know, the goal of that network, as they stated, was to be fast, right? And then it was relatively fast when it was up. Um, but then, you know, you had huge limitations in terms of uh, the internet speeds that users that wanted to actually interact with consensus would potentially need. And you had really uh, hefty hardware requirements because, you know, you have to store all of this. Right. And so Ergo's uh, goal has always been to be uh, relatively conservative and use as much compression as possible and use, uh, you know, UTXO uh, trimming via storage rent over time to try to take that block space and treat it like the scarce resource that it should be. If, you know, uh, somebody, you know, let's say in a less developed region wants to actually act as a validator in our network, uh, we need to consider the barrier of entry for those actors. Otherwise, you know, if, if you get, you know, some of these blockchains are now in the terabytes, uh, you know, the hardware expense gets more and more expensive over time and that uh, over time centralizes these systems. That's one thing that I was gonna mention just on the size of the blockchains. If you, a couple of examples, you could um, use Bitcoin and Ethereum as examples. Uh, Bitcoin's off the top of my head, maybe what's say 400 gigabyte, I think, thereabouts. Um, and I think uh, Ethereum's upwards of terabytes at this stage and with a 22nd odd block time that, that it, it has seen in its sort of history. And that's obviously a little bit different having the smart contracts and everything on chain and things like that. But um yeah you can definitely see a, a vast uh, difference there in, in the size of the chains themselves yeah that's one consideration a lot of users don't take into account like if you have a super fast network that's great you have you know data accumulation right but then you have to ask okay what kind of data uh, is in that transaction and you know when you get into executing scripts uh you get basically more data involved in blocks and uh, it potentially makes that uh, barrier of entry issue even worse over time. So, you know, how, the big question is how do we keep these systems small and light so that the average person can participate in consensus a decade from now? Yeah, to me, it seems like um, the sort of average Joe that's on Twitter you know, doing crypto shenanigans <laughs> with a, a light wallet. Um, it that it's a problem that many sort of regular users will never have to consider if they're you know because 
currently in you know generally speaking uh crypto is kind of something that we see a lot in developed nations where internet connections are good storage space is cheap um and so presently speaking those kinds of considerations are not something that a lot of users are really thinking about but um yeah it's very pragmatic approach and um something to appreciate about ergo's conservative design for sure yeah it doesn't matter the most um and it is true that technology does uh you know you will see more let's say hard drive space and more memory and you know more performant uh, machines over time but you know when then you have to ask okay in like emerging market areas um which you know to some degree i think these tools are most valuable in uh i personally would recommend everyone run a full note if you can uh because it eliminates trust assumptions um, you know versus just the light wallet it's great it's 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 user friendly it's easy but uh you know if you really want to support the network go full node yeah exactly right um you're kind of sheltered as well if you just use a light wallet um like a web-based wallet and things like that that's utilizing like back-end infrastructure say the explorer or things like that where um you're not doing any heavy lifting you're just interacting with the chain through that wallet itself um through the um, infrastructure on the back end where as if you have a node or a full node wallet and things like that, you're interacting basically directly to uh, the chain itself and um, have the whole state of the blockchain. And um, obviously with a node as well, you can um, enforce the rules of the protocol as well that um, sort of miners have to follow it. So win-win across the board, it's aiding decentralization and everything as well. Yeah, users as a whole will trend towards uh, whatever is the easiest whatever is the most efficient, right? And I, I understand that. Uh, but one thing that you have to keep in mind is uh, decentralized systems are inefficient. Like relative to a centralized system, every time it's going to be more inefficient. And the reason why uh, that inefficiency is a, you know, a net positive is because of your ability to create trust assumptions based on that that you know inefficiency let's say um, so it's always going to be easier uh, to you know use something that's more centralized mm-hmm. but uh, then you lose the value proposition of having a inefficient network yeah so you know something that we talk about a lot on this show is trying to make things um, as decentralized as possible, but also as accessible as possible. And that goes a long way in solving this issue. We got a long way to go for sure. Uh, But so does everybody else. (laughs) It's not a problem that's been solved yet. Yeah, with with the compression of the blockchain and things like that, like Ergo's obviously got a couple of things in its little um, up its sleeve to be able to sort of make that a more efficient as well. One being nipper powers and um, SPV clients and a number of other things as well. So um, maybe we can chat a little about those. Sure. So nipper powers, to me, it sounds like a cartoon word, you know, like Superman punch. I love saying it. Never get old. It's a compression technique. You know, it it really, uh, if you want to understand that like on a very simple level, doesn't do any magic it minimizes computational resources that's that's basically it without interfering with trust assumptions so it allows you to run uh basically lighter infrastructure in a you know basically a more minimal environment it costs less because it uses less energy you know, when you're talking, how do you get a full node on a Android? I actually did see that, you know, someone did that with a Bitcoin uh, node recently. I, I'm not sure what device or, you know, what the specs were, but that's great to see because, uh, you know, the light uh, wallet has kind of been the go-to for that particular application. But uh, over time, you know, the goal is to 
uh, build wallet infrastructure that interacts with the P2P layer on the blockchain itself. And you don't need to go through a proxy. You know, that's one thing a lot of people don't recognize in a way with the light wallets is you are using a proxy and that proxy could potentially um, lie to you, could potentially uh, track you. You know, there's, there's a couple of, you know, issues there that users might want to be aware of because, you know, you are inheriting risk, although minimal. I mean, you can say, okay, well, all of the uh, wallets in our ecosystem go to kind of trusted nodes, right, or trusted explorers, but the goal is to not trust anybody, to remove that from the system. Yeah, yeah man, if I could run a full node on my phone and have ergo pay integration that's that's big that's that's some some good eating right there <laughs> yeah uh, but that, not that far off i mean i, I think yeah. within a year uh that's potentially something that we will see um you know and ultimately that lightweight uh infrastructure is going to be really important you know even on the explorer side i think you know lightweight infrastructure is going to be uh, an interesting um, thought experiment anyway, moving forward, because the goal is to take this infrastructure and have users run it locally, right? That That's ultimately what decentralization is, is collective localization. So where I run my node, I, you know, uh, maybe run an explorer. I run all of the instances that I need to not trust anybody locally and so does noah so does cw so do you watching this video and then you know you uh have kind of hardened the system to where even if i disappear and cw disappears and noah disappears you're fine right so long as the miners are mining and you have that infrastructure you have full access without anybody's permission um you know and versus if Right now, we, you know, we, we, we are a little bit more centralized than I would like to see. Uh, but then, you know, you have to open the question, how many users are willing to embrace the inefficiency of decentralization? Yeah, well, it's a funny thing. Um, in the last week or so, uh, I've been playing around with BISC, which mm -hmm. is a decentralized peer-to-peer market essentially um and there's no liquidity for it <laughs> um with with btc there's a fair amount but um you have to run the app locally and it works fantastically i gotta say like it's really slick and it's it's got the green button factor that we talk about you know mm -hmm. um but uh yeah trying to get more erg liquidity on there is something that uh, i'm going to be pushing for in the next weeks um there's a few of us that are trying to do that yeah i think that's great to see and i, I hope we do see more of that uh but it's a matter of embracing the inefficiencies yeah you know and and that's hard to sell to let's call them normie or new users because they're like oh i just go on coinbase and i trade on coinbase and you know never really self custody or do anything other than have a coinbase account you know and and luckily well maybe not luckily but that is changing as a general perception at least um you know watching ftx implode i think a lot of people are saying well maybe this whole self custody thing is uh kind of important yeah i had a whole conversation on twitter today about uh closed source wallets and how can you really think of it as self-custody if it's closed source but yeah that's know. it's hard to talk about trust assumptions especially when it's counter to uh let's just say profitability I don't, I don't know how else to put it. Um, you know, it, when, let's say, like the economics of profit and then the principles of trust assumptions are um, 
I don't know, when they challenge each other, trust assumptions lose. Look how many people are like, ah, don't worry, you know, Google can, you know, track me, trace me, read all my data. Users don't give a shit. It just kind of works for them. And so they're happy. Right. And I think that's even, I would think, pretty common knowledge, right? That you're being surveilled and monitored and your search history is being stored and all that fun stuff. But, uh, you know, generally speaking, people don't care. Yeah. And I think that just actually, comes down to convenience, really. Um, people are still in that mindset for Web 2.0 where they don't really care. They can just connect to all their services to one entity, have everything there on at their fingertips. But ultimately, you're at the mercy of them. Like, not your data. It's in the custody to someone else. Yeah. So well, I guess I mean, um, zooming out, um, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about has been trying to sort of uh, get closer to um, making the, the hard sell a little bit less hard, right? Embrace the inefficiency. Like yeah, that's, well, that's a terrible thing to sell in a way until you understand what you get. You get autonomy. A lot of the a lot of the sort of um, upgrades and um, sort of things along the the roadmap of Ergo have been trying to make the inefficiencies that need to be embraced less inefficient than they could be, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, to yeah. make that let's say a smaller lift. Yeah, the margin. <laughs> of effort that needs to be put in as low as possible. That's, it needs to be compressed. Yeah. But we use, you know, that's that's kind of the point of, you know, you look at NevoPals, what are you doing? You're compressing, you know, kind of the uh, computational resources you need. If you look at layer two solutions, you're compressing multiple transactions into just a footprint on the chain. Uh, you know, a lot of that can be minimized uh, by, uh, compression techniques in various ways, but I don't think you'd be fully eliminated. No, right? and it shouldn't be. That's the whole point. Yeah, it shouldn't be. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but that's a hard sell. And the reality is, okay, many um, general users are here to make X, right? Whatever the number is, X. Ten of um, them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where I, I think it is true that a lot of people just don't care about decentralized uh, systems. Um, they're here to try to speculate and make money and improve their life, and you know, good for them, I guess. But uh, you know, I, I think the clear trust assumptions are f really critical to looking at uh, decent de decentralized networks as like peer to peer. You, like, you have to be your own sovereign peer um, if you want true peer-to-peer -peer finance. Otherwise, you start getting middlemen and gatekeepers and middleware humans and all that fun stuff. Yeah, just sort of elaborating on the point as well that we're talking about um, in regards to sort of the infrastructure or the proxy side as well. Um, you can often be a bottleneck as well. So if you're using a light client or a light wallet, and connecting and trying to push through transactions or I don't know, trying to get an NFT drop into mempool's full or, you know, a number of sort of scenarios like that where um, there is that bottleneck. Everyone's trying to drive their traffic through that one sort of entity. Uh, if you're sitting on the side and you're running your own infrastructure, interacting with the blockchain itself, and you can obviously um, tune up your transaction fee a little bit, uh, make a little bit more incentive for the miners to pick your one there as well. That's actually happened in the history of Ergo, where, you know, I know that there was a, I don't even remember which, there was a NFT, Ergnome drop, I think. And suddenly people were like, oh my goodness, we need to run full nodes because there are so many people participating. We're going to, you know, stress the Explorer. And the people that did run their own infrastructure, um, you know, were able to participate. And I, I believe the Explorer actually had issues to where people you know with uh light wallets ran into a scenario where the you know back end that they were uh 
kind of bouncing off of uh, was having issues. And uh, that yeah, happened with the Anita drop too, where like <clears throat> thousands and thousands of people are trying to mint all at the same time. Yeah. So, okay. That's a great lesson for, you know, I, NFTs have done a great job in terms of teaching uh, new users this last, I don't know, cycle, I guess you could call it about crypto. And uh, so maybe that's, you know, a small performance advantage that uh, is advantageous for them to consider running their own uh, infrastructure and being their own sovereign actor in the network. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, well, using that Erg Names uh, example there on, I think it's Nautilus, you can increase the transaction fee up to 0.05, I believe, something along those lines, or 0.005. Mm -hmm. um yeah something like that but if you're running a full node you just have to go one tick over that yeah. and there's your incentive for the minus. <laughs> yeah point zero six, and th that's true i mean there are some, yeah that you can you miners will see that and mine you first because you're paying them more um yeah. you know there are some benefits to being a sovereign that i think uh, even the average you know, user that might not care too much about decentralization, but they might want to get in on a hot NFT drop or, you know, something like that in the future. That's a you good know, that way. The gas wars in Ethereum, right? Like mm -hmm. everybody trying to outbid each other on gas just to get their transaction through. Yeah. Um, same kind of idea. Yeah, it's just greatly minimized because we don't run, you know, yeah. the on chain the same way, but yeah. And basically, yeah. And then the power is in your hands then as well. You control what you want to pay, not basically what you're told to pay, like in other Ethereum, when that yeah, you get, sort of running hot. You'll get race conditions every once in a while. Um, you know, even even on Ergo, uh, periodically we've had that where everybody's trying to race to interact with the same thing at the same time. And then the question is who gets there first? And, you know, these are, you know, we do kind of extend the proof of work uh, mentality that miners own their blocks and so you know it's up to them to uh, accept what they put into their blocks and how do they do that through a fee market yeah so on the miner side like if i see some um blocks with transactions mm -hmm. or i, I don't I, i'm i've never mined so i don't know how this works so forgive sure. my ignorance but are you able to actually choose the um, transactions that you want to mine or yeah, is it just sort, prioritized can, by right now anyway right now the basic uh schema that miners uh, run when they're mining ergo is fee per byte right so they look at the fee they look at the size of the transaction because again you don't have one type of transaction you have you know interactions with smart contracts and yeah you know Sometimes things get with, heavy. Yeah, sometimes things get heavy. Sometimes you're sending from multiple UTXOs to uh, one. You know, there's a variety of different things that can potentially uh, impact that. And so, you know, the base assumption was okay, why don't we just look at the size of the transaction and the fee? And then, you know, whatever kind of has the greatest profit margin, choose that, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, we, we start having these monster. Huh. let's Gross. say out yeah where it's like we're going to send you know five thousand outputs in one transaction uh and, you know and, and that kind of messed with the uh <laughs> it kind of messed with the default parameter that miners were using because um Those transactions would just sit there for hours and hours, yeah, and hours. They, wouldn't, they wouldn't they wouldn't get prioritized until they dropped into the block even though uh, there were, you know, a couple of instances where the cumulative fee was probably worth including it. Mm. It's just the size of it was so big that uh, no one's going to compute it. Yeah, yeah, the size of it was so big that that equation kind of broke in terms of the economic incentive. So as we do move into 6.0, that's something that, uh, you know, we've talked about opening it up to custom... Uh, minor clients to where different pools can basically change that default parameter. Oh, interesting. And, and include what they 
would like to include. And, you know, that will kind of assist in the future if we do see these big multiple output type uh, transactions, you know, they're, they're going to look at that differently because right now how it's being scanned and included uh, kind of doesn't work well for that. So something, yeah. something that we can improve. I could see some potential for interesting strategies popping up. I know we've talked about like equivalents to things like MEV mm -hmm. um, and giving miners that flexibility to sort of sort what they want to mine. That's pretty, pretty cool idea. Yeah. I think, I think in most blockchains that's inevitable. And e even if, even if there's other default rules, um, I don't see why someone couldn't support their own uh, mechanism of sorting the mempools. Like mm -hmm. that's just doable. If you're a block producer and it doesn't matter proof of work, proof of stake, that's possible, right? And if it's possible and if it's profitable, it's probably going to happen. Um, it's somewhat of a, it's somewhat of a controversial topic. I look at it in terms of like the closest person has the most influence. Like if I know it's the bank and you have a new house that defaulted and I'm kind of closer to the bank than CW, who's the average consumer, um, because I'm kind of closer to you or that transaction, I can exploit that. Right. And so I can pick it up quick before it hits the market and CW ever sees it. Mm. Not naming any names there. Yeah. Um, in regards to sort of just exploring what the miners will want to mine and things like that, um, obviously we're seeing a fair bit of that on Ethereum now with the um, OPEC compliance and whatnot, and the censorship and things. Is that something you possibly see here at Ergo? Yeah, you could see that anywhere. If you're talking about... Uh you know, what, what you're going to include in, in the mempool, right? Um, that's always a potential. Now, certainly if a mining pool starts doing that, I'm going to be on here every time saying, screw them, mine someone else, right? And, you know, unfortunately, uh, uh, I think there hasn't been much of a backlash, sadly within the ethereum community i don't understand that they're like oh it's fine you know okay you get pushed a couple of blocks eventually you'll get dropped in right um you know and, and even that in and of itself is is potentially quite negative if you have the ma a majority of the block producers that are saying okay you have to be from certain jurisdictions right well now users that are trying to let's say interact in DeFi or uh you know other applications are at the back of the bus. Yeah. You know, they're just at the back of the bus. It's like, oh, your transaction will get dropped when it gets dropped. Well, you know, what if we take it to like the NFT scenario and they never pull something or you take it to the DeFi scenario and whatever profit incentive is there is potentially gone because you have these fuckers uh, censoring blocks. Oops. Right. Wire <laughs> <laughs> up, Joe. Uh, yeah, no, I, mean, I mean the whole point the whole point of the of blockchain in my opinion is to try to create more equitable systems yeah yeah if you look at that in terms of how it's breaking the system from being equitable user to user that's a problem like i, I would be pissed if i saw that in argo and i would speak up um i don't see enough of that yeah i think a lot of people would that's for sure um obviously having that similar mindset throughout the ecosystem itself here at Ergo. Um, yeah, I don't think one, our ecosystem will be one to sort of sit back and sort of let that happen. Um, there's not numerous sort of ways to go around that. No, it's obviously education and making miners aware of sort of the pools that um, they're pointing their hash towards and whether they yeah. sort of, they they want to align with that or not. Um, it's up to them whether they put their hash rate onto, onto a new pool that's spun up instantly to sort of counter whatever that, Pool X is doing to sort of censor um, tr certain transactions in the main pool. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting thing too uh, with the way that native assets work in Ergo. Um, 
I have to imagine the kind of censorship, it, it would be very different. Um, I know there's like with Ethereum, my understanding is that because of the way the account model is, or the, the way that the account model works is that, uh, there's, it, it's easier to see if a coin has been tainted in some way, like if it's gone through tornado cash or something mm -hmm. and um, whereas with UTXO native assets, my understanding is you'd have to sort of trace back through where that specific UTXO has been and sort of like reverse it's messier. engineer. It's yeah. so much it's messier. Yeah. Messier. Now is, if somebody, uh, is it's possible you know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You can build visualization tools to do that, that, uh, you know, in my, in my opinion, it's really not that big of a step um you know it is one you know thing that's talked about a lot with say the benefits of utxo is people say oh there's greater privacy and to a degree that's true for normie users but you know there has been tools out there to track and trace and follow bitcoin for a very very long time yeah. um I think the biggest no, thing for the think... normal user is not being able to read the Explorer, the UTXO. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you, you have to read the Explorer, and you know it is kind of messy compared to um, looking at the account model. Been trying um, to push for a simplified view on there. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, but you know that was broken in Bitcoin years ago, so I, I don't think that you know really holds a lot of uh, water in terms of a serious adversary. Just normie users, uh, you know, will get confused by UTXO. Yeah, and more to Noah's point as well. Um, just the models themselves, with the accounting side. So, say you run a coin through or an ether through um, Tornado Cash, and then you transfer it to your wallet. Your whole wallet then is then tainted because there's not like no way to distinguish which coin that was that went through that uh, mixer or Tornado Cash. On the UTXO side, you can sort of single each UTXO out in some respect. Yeah. Well, you know, that's kind of going to be interesting to watch. Uh, personally, yeah, it's I, still an unknown. I'm fully in support of privacy tooling. I think it has a great use case. I think it's a human right. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, we shouldn't ask for permission because if these type of systems were built solely with permission from a third party, what's the point of a peer-to-peer -peer financial system? Uh, the frustration. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of people that join this space and they're like, but I want my ex. You know, that's, that's ex. Yeah, that's where their mind is at. I want the ex. I want, uh, you know, I want the good numbers and I want the X. And if that gets me closer to that, then forget about first principles. Yeah. It's something you touched on last week, actually. Um, when we, I think it was this show. When we were talking about starting to think in, like, say, nano erg or um, Satoshis and things like that, not thinking in US dollars. Um, obviously, one erg's one erg and things like that. Think about what that value is on chain and what that can sort of do for you. In the future, not sort of taking that that X or that one X of whatever, um, and then transferring that to the US dollars to obviously sort of put you in a better financial um, situation. It's peer to peer money. Yeah, you know that's kind of the goal. The only difference uh, with Ergo is we extended it to have uh, better trust assumptions in terms of people, protocol, logic. Uh, so we could build financial tools on top of that peer-to-peer -peer money. But uh, I think that core assumption is the same. So um, to change topics a little bit, I was thinking uh, with 5.0 being today, uh, it might be useful to, to reflect on what 4.0, 3.0, and 2.0 were <laughs> offhand. I don't really know what those each sort of represented or um, what each one brought sort of what the building blocks of each. Well, you know, we start with uh, Autolico's plan. 
1.0 baby yeah where we had you know you were mining to your private key and so mining was a lot more democratic uh it was a very different ecosystem then uh you know one thing that's a pro and uh a con with miners right is there's not a lot of politics a lot of miners set and sit you know they set up their rigs they forget they live life they you know do maintenance make sure everything is running um you know like that as a consensus layer isn't too social you know it's kind of like the grubby basement and garage miners you gotta love them because they're they're generally pretty low drama you know uh, and so a lot of the social engagement was you know on the ergo forum you know and a lot of that just had to do with oh you know how do i connect how do i optimize what what's the settings for my cards set it forget it maintain it um you know and then we had somebody break the uh, uh let's say non-outsourceability uh via smart contracts so then you had actors or an actor starting to pool resources and that started to give them an advantage over solo miners so we were kind of forced to say okay what do we want we want an equitable system right that's kind of the goal um and so you know we ergo had a fork uh, that got turned off and you know it did kind of change things a little bit uh, you know on the one side that's something that a lot more miners were um, familiar with pool mining right like uh, that the whole solo miner thing with that that was like uh, you know 2016 2015 now that's, that's when that was cool uh, then <laughs> yeah then you know so it used to be painful you you know sync this node and it would take a long time and uh you know mining was a lot of work yeah that point and then so you know, 2.0 was uh that hard work yeah we we, we kind of moved uh, into an era of um you know adopting pools and so with pools we did get more users because that's kind of where the consciousness of miners is at the moment because that's what they've experienced um you know good or bad uh, i guess that's uh, depends i mean even even back in the day you could potentially if you had the space you could have two different nodes and then just activate them and do settings and mine different chains but it took a lot of work versus you know now you just have like uh you know the operating systems that you can hop from one chain to another chain with different config settings in a matter of seconds so the barrier of entry got you know it's nothing really um yeah Hobo West did a, a, I, don't know, I think it's marvelous what it did for the um mining industry yeah. in one respect where it's basically just a big green button um mm -hmm. being able to swap chains in just a couple of clicks changing flight sheets and everything like that it's pretty cool yeah i mean for for the individual it does deliver a lot of value uh, for projects, it you know is makes uh, security a lot more um, I don't know mobile, which maybe that's a good thing, right? Because then you kind of have the ability to say, okay, we're now competing uh, for resources that you know where they're not locked into a relationship with us, so we need to deliver value. Otherwise, they're just out the door. I think that's fair. Like I'm, there's there are some people that you know absolutely hate what Hype did because you know people aren't loyal, loyal right but why do, they, why do they need to be stuck in a relationship what is that <laughs> yeah just make the better product yeah Give make the better a reason product. to stick around exactly deliver value that that yeah. should always be the goal um so with that you know we got a lot more community and with community we got more development right and so um the upgrades since them have been more um de development oriented like uh, we look at 5.0 you know we kind of see uh increase in terms of the bandwidth and smart contract engine uh, script processing and block space efficiency so uh from that point it's been more uh oriented towards um you know kind of the uh, development side you know i guess 4.0 can... was the the eip 27 right yeah that you know that was kind of its own well, yeah. it kind of rolled back, but yeah, that was kind of its own hard work. That was just, you know, we were saying, okay, well, based on the rate of 
uh, development that we're seeing, we might need more runway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then 3.0, I don't know if I, I don't know if I was around the, when that one happened. I can't remember. I'd have what, to look. Yeah. I can't remember what that was. It's a while oh, my, I might believe. Oh, I've been reading the dev updates. Now I'm stuck on like 2.2.2.2.2.2. The yeah, nice the wallet uh, app. <laughs> the Orbo wallet app is <laughs> stuck. 2019. Let's see. I'm going to do a quick dive real quick. You guys yeah. keep talking. <laughs> Should we get into 6.0 a little bit? Yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk about the future. We've talked a good amount about the past and where we've come from. Sure. Um, I know there's not like a hard specific plan yet, but we sort of have a big picture idea of where we might be going. Yeah. Uh, you know, okay. So, um, first thing I would say, you know, 6.0 has to do with scalability and sustainability, right? Mm -hmm. We've done a really good job of building out tooling and, uh, we've seen great community development and it's time for us to start asking long-term questions um you know in terms of let's say network maintenance and functionality and scalability and, and put a, a put forward a long-term vision or path that needs to be community oriented uh, i think that if that just comes from the ergo foundation um in a way the ergo foundation is failing the community because in in my mind, it's been a necessary evil, right? Like you have to have a counterparty to do business. I know that there's these blockchains in the space that say, oh, we have no foundation. We have no da-da-da-da-da. Guess what? I've seen the contracts that exchanges have. I know how market making works. Somebody assigning them. And so if you don't have like an entity that's representing the ecosystem, you have a whale that is. And you don't know who that whale is and they have information advantage over you. And that's sketchy. It's just sketchy because like the reality of businesses in this space is that actor exists. They may not have a title and call themselves something, but they exist and they have more money than you and they have more knowledge than you. And they're probably trading against you. Like that's common sense, but you have to understand that you're not going to get a listing without a counterparty. Right. Um, so who that actor is in a lot of systems, we don't know. Um, for the Ergo community, you have a face. You know, you have an entity that at least is transparent with you in terms of, you know, being the counterparty and uh, giving some assurance that we're not trying to front run you or trade against you or, you know, uh, manipulate that information asymmetry. Um, but longer term, I would love to see an association of companies that maintain the core protocol. Uh, maybe that, you know, grows from Sigma knots. Maybe that grows from commercial entities that are interested in developing on Ergo, but it makes the core protocol more decentralized and survivable, right? So that's something I would love to see, at least as a game plan in 6.0. Uh, in terms of scalability, that's kind of like the longevity of the network in terms of congestion. That's something that we need to come together, solve, have open source solutions uh, that you know multiple developers could potentially scale. That way, they're not burdening the base layer because long term, layer one is just for settlement. You know, I, I do think that it will kind of fade from interacting with uh, layer one to over enough time as the ecosystem develops enough. So that's something we need to prepare for. We're already seeing that with Ethereum, right? And, and I do think that's a path we need to uh, prepare for. The other uh, aspects are EIPs and potential um, upgrades that developers need, right? And, and that may allow us to potentially package that and say, okay, well, what upgrades do we want to add? Um, you know, kind of with the long-term vision in mind that comes from, you know, the community, the developers that are actually building this tooling versus, uh, you know, us, the Ergo Foundation. And hopefully 
you know, by the time that, let's say, 6.0 phase releases, uh, we do have, you know, a path for scalability. We have a path for sustainability as well. And, you know, then uh, I think we'll be in a different era of development by the time that fully rolls around. Yeah, it's exciting to think about, obviously, um, people taking the reins of the protocol itself and sort of pushing updates and things that they want to see as well across the board. Like you said, there could be a numerous entities there, whether that's, um, like you said, stamps from the Sigma Nauts or commercial entity or, who knows, someone else from a different ecosystem coming in from developer on a chain, whatever, um, coming in and, and doing their part. Um it's obviously decentralizing the the resourcing load and you're not just dependent on sort of one central entity that's taking basically the the core protocol and, and running with everything they sort of want to do there. Um, obviously with the governance side, miners sort of do have the last vote then as well on sort of what is actually implemented, which is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, and my goal in a way has always been to work myself out of a job, right? Um, not that I don't like making videos, but... I don't like making videos and, you know, it's needed, right? The Ergo Foundation is needed at this point. Uh, you know, some point in the future when we have enough market access to where we have, you know, association, different companies that are interested in driving the adoption of Ergo, I would love to, um, you know, kind of work on the development side more, um, you know, say, okay, you know, how do we build good systems with clear risk assumptions and, um not just in terms of the code, but actually the, uh, let's say, financial protocols and, um, you know, how do we have better trust assumptions with people uh, and, and really see how we could use this technology in interesting ways. Uh, but for now, um, you know. Talking to the exchanges and. Yeah, yeah, for now. I'm, uh, for now talking to us. <laughs> talking to everybody. You know, I really, I really do try to just open doors for anybody and everybody in the ecosystem, um, you know, and who knows, maybe by the time I can decentralize myself, uh, you know, if, if my contact list of people doesn't care, I just open source it. Say here, if you want to develop here, talk to this exchange, talk to this, you know, actor, I don't know, maybe people wouldn't like that, but um, I don't want to be a gatekeeper. Yeah, it's an interesting point, um, and obviously it's an exciting point because like, you see the a lot more maturity within the ecosystem then as well. Yeah, and I think we're getting there. You know, if you look at a lot of the core tooling uh, that's coming out of the Ergo ecosystem, number one, I'm super proud that it's open source. Um, that you know the uh, embracing the inefficiency of open source development is something that we've seen from the developer community, and and that's powerful. Uh, in my mind, because then, you know, you get open discourse and debate, you know, this week we had three wallet developers that are all talking to each other about the best way to implement one thing. Like those three minds will outperform one, you know, three separate minds every single time, in my opinion, because they're going to bring different perspectives and solutions. And um, basically their intelligence is going to kind of hive a little bit. Uh, you know, and you can look at Paideia as a good example. That's all open. Uh, you can look at Herbal yeah, Pad. It's pretty awesome. Spectrum, it's the same thing. And and that's powerful in my mind. Uh, so I, I do think that embracing uh, that inefficiency on the development side is going to serve us really well in the future because everybody's going to have a vested interest to improve it. Once again, beating uh, that drum. Yeah, the incentives of open source. And yeah, exactly. I uh, know we've said it numerous times throughout uh, this sort of video series as well, and we'll keep saying it as well. Um, but obviously, that collective mind share drives the innovation and everything forward. Um, obviously, lowers the bar the barrier for entry for someone coming into the ecosystem to be able to pick up some tutorials or dive through someone's GitHub and get some ideas on which way they sort of implemented a certain um, solution. So, yeah, it's it's interesting sort of way to go about things. And, yeah, I'm definitely proud of everyone in the um, community jumping on that. And then also uh, people who don't really have that technical background also um, chiming in and 
and sort of demanding it and wanting to sort of see open repos and um, things like that also. Yeah. Then, you know, the having, let's say, DAO tool and that community management, I think is going to be powerful because then you potentially have uh, kind of the protocol with cryptographic trust. Uh, you have a certain trust assumption that you can make with open source code. And then we get into this idea of how do we mitigate uh, risk and instill trust when we're working with peers, people. Right. And that's that's always a sketchy thing in this uh, industry to where, you know, people will disappear with a lot of money and say, whoops, or never deliver something and say, whoops. And, you know, it, it kind of puts people at the mercy of trust and, and the goal is to distribute and eliminate that as much as possible. So uh, moving forward, I'm, I'm pretty excited uh, to see what this ecosystem can do uh, working together. Yep, most definitely. All right, gents, well, um, we're coming up to time now. We're, we're running a, a little bit over, we're almost up to an hour now. We try to kind of keep these to around 40, 45 minutes or so. Um, is there any last words you want to say about what we've sort of discussed today? I'm excited to work with the community to move towards 6.0. Yeah, 5.0 5 has been a long time coming and it almost doesn't feel like it has happened. <laughs> like, been looking forward to it for so long and now it's here and it's like, huh, like, okay, we did it. <laughs> and, and we just got to keep going, you know? It's not like we stop working on everything we're doing, so... Yeah, let's keep That's it going. It. See what's next. Yep. The Code Forge uh, is running hot and will continue to do so for a long time here at Ergo. So thanks everyone for tuning in. It's been a pleasure chatting once again, gentlemen. Um, we'll catch you next week. Have a good one. Thanks.